Welcome to the Pharos Fit Podcast, where we help you to explore your capacity to move better, push further, and achieve your limitless potential through fitness, nutrition, recovery, and lifestyle. Hey guys, welcome back to the Pharos Fit Podcast. Uh, great to finally be back with you guys after a bit of a hiatus. Um, I'm sitting here on a rainy day in Idlewild. Uh, it's pretty gloomy out there, uh, and I can think of no, no better thing to do than uh, talk to today's guest. Uh, who's a good friend of mine. Uh, I've known her for um, four years or so, maybe five years, four? Yeah, five, five and, and a half almost, yeah. Yeah, uh, she is a, a therapist, licensed therapist. Uh, she's a mother, she's an author, she's an entrepreneur. And like I said, she's a good friend of mine. And her name is Vanessa Bennett. She is also uh, John Kim's partner, who uh, you guys uh, know who's been on the podcast before, and you may, may know him as, as a member at Paris Athletic Club. And they've also just written a book together, or I think the book came out last year, right, Vanessa? Yeah, end of the year. Mm-hmm. Called It's Not Me, It's You. And then uh, they have some uh, upcoming retreats and so forth that they're, they're doing. And I'll, we'll touch on that later. But first of all, Vanessa, um, I really want to hear about your journey into therapy because I know you had a career before therapy, before you were a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. And then you kind of left that behind and, and, and went into therapy. So I want to kind of hear the why behind that and the, and the how behind that. And, and kind of go from there. So just just tell us in, in your own words, you know, how it all kind of happened, how it all kind of came together. How could I make this the shortest story possible? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I, yeah, I was in advertising for about 10 years in New York. Um, I was a creative producer. So I was the one kind of running around making things happen as far as like commercials and billboards and digital campaigns and all the things. And I worked on um, some of the biggest brands in the world. I mean, I was on Coca-Cola and Unilever and P&G. And so most of the brands that you guys know and are kind of household names. And I love the creativity of it. I was always on the creative side. Um, I loved the people that I worked with, but I always just felt like I wanted to help people. Like I, 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 I loved the creative piece, but what I felt like I was doing was just selling people shit that they didn't need. Right. Right. And so for a while, I tried to figure out how I could bridge the two. I wasn't really sure. I was just really unhappy. Um, I had started my own personal therapy journey around 25 and kind of on the prompting of a good friend of mine at the time where we were out somewhere and she just looked at me and she said, you're so angry all the time. And I was like, what? <laughs> like kind of something to hear from a friend, right? Uh, so I started seeing her therapist actually. And so it just kind of started from there. So I started my own therapy at 25, the same time that I started a yoga practice, started a meditation practice, really just started getting into understanding myself, but also I think connecting to and establishing a spiritual practice as well, which I had never had before. Um, and I'm not religious. I mean, I was kind of raised a little bit, but not really. Um, and so I started really just when I work with clients who are kind of in transition or careers or I'm not happy, I don't know what I do. I always talk about this like breadcrumb approach, which is just, just following what makes you feel a sense of aliveness. Right. And so that's what I started doing. Right. So I yeah. found yoga. I loved it. And so I went for my yoga teacher training. Um, and then through that, I ended up and I was working full time this whole time. Then I took a yoga therapy training and then I took a nutrition program and then I took, a, you know, I just kind of kept again, following these breadcrumbs, like what makes me feel excited? What makes me feel alive? And a few years into this journey, my therapist actually is the one that came to me and said, there's this school in California that I feel like you would really love called Pacifica. Uh, You should look into it. And so I did. I went out to California by myself and 
kind of had a little bit of a eat, love, pray, <laughs> eat, pray, love right. journey, yeah. found it, uh, knew immediately. I stepped foot on campus and kind of had like a visceral, like a body response to being there. I just kind of knew this is where I needed to be. And I was doing this. So I, I went to grad school. I was in grad school full-time and working full-time in advertising, flying back and forth from New York to LA every month wow. for 10 months. Um, and at the 10th month, I was like, I can't do this anymore. My relationship I was in at the time was kind of crumbling and had been, I kind of was ready to face the music on that. And I packed some suitcases and got on a plane and moved to LA with really nothing and no one other than, you know, one of my best friends, you know, my friend Danae and some other colleagues and people from school and mm. went to school full time. And I, um, you know, I had the transition, I had the hard transition and I, was living on loans and I was living in a tiny apartment right. in the valley and, you know, struggling. Meanwhile, I had been running multi-million dollar campaigns and making over six figures and leading teams. And then yeah. I was like back to square one at 30, 31. Yeah. Um, but I just, is, I've kept is, following my the passion. Hard thing, the, the hard thing sometimes, but when, when you, when you find that purpose and when you, when you find that passion, even though you're earning way less money, you just feel so much more complete and so much more alive. Like you said, yeah. Um, and like, you want to get up in the morning and do this because it's your, you know, you, you, and I had to trust, your... you know, it was something about the trust. Like I had to trust that this was going to take me where I wanted it to take me. Um, and I had to really just let go. I had to let go of the control of like the way I thought my life should have looked right. And the, the salary and the, the prestige and the title and all the things. And I just had to trust that if I leaned into this passion that it would, it would eventually support me. And, and it did, but it took years, you know? So yeah. How did yeah. you, before you ever had a therapy session yourself, mm -hmm. how did you feel about therapy? Did you have like any kind of cynical approach to it? Were you like any opinion at all? Neutral, like, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess I never really thought about it. I didn't come from a family that really talked about therapy, but they also didn't kind of shit on therapy either. I was very neutral about it. Um, and I was living in New York for years at that point. So I was already kind of in one of two meccas for like mental health and wellness other than right. LA. So all of my friends were talking about it and in yoga and doing all these things. And so I think by the time I was 25, I was already kind of primed, but I was pretty neutral. You know, so many people come to me and there's just still, which is crazy to me in 2023, so much um, out there, so much baggage, so much stigma around therapy and and mental health which is shocking to me but i know it still exists yeah i mean i i know like from from my perspective from from my generation uh and the way i was kind of brought up it wasn't like talked badly about but you know it was just that thing of like you know do you really have a problem or do you just need to like just man up and get on with it you know like right. what's what's the what's the what's the problem here and i had um i had therapy in my kind of mid 20s um, and I was at a point where, um, I was just struggling. I was just depressed. I was struggling to find any kind of joy in, in my day. I was, I was excited about life and about the world, but just my day to day, like existence felt kind of meaningless. So I think, um, for me, it was a very kind of specific thing that I went to therapy for. I had like six sessions and by the end of it, I was like, quote unquote cured. Like I felt like a thousand times better. I moved on with my life. I basically mm. closed a chapter on my life and moved on to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And I really just needed therapy to close that chapter for me and, and make me understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, I came into it as a pretty like alpha guy who like 
doesn't necessarily like um, like to have those conversations. But I remember mm-hmm. like day one, within a minute, I just started bullying. Like I just mm-hmm. started like breaking down and crying and being like, I just don't want to feel like this anymore, like kind of kind of thing. Yeah. And like the emotions coming out all over the place. And then, you know, obviously they, 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 the their therapist at the time, you know, took me back to a lot of like, okay, tell me about your upbringing and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we worked it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, it was kind of a revelation to me, like how, how effective it could be. And I'm, I'm very grateful to that therapist because it wasn't like a thing that was like, um, wasn't drawn out. It was very kind of like, okay, here, here is the issue that we need to work on. Yeah. Once you can get a hold of that, you can kind of move on. And, and it was, it was great. And I, I kind of see a lot of people who seem to be in endless therapy. Um, I don't know whether you find a lot of clients like this that, you know, really struggled to actually resolve what the issue is and, and move on. Whereas mine was a very, I mean, not to say I haven't still got problems because of course everyone's got problems, yeah. but, um, you know, I, I did, I, it was kind of like something that I was able to draw a line under, understand, comprehend and move on. Um, but I, I see a lot of people who kind of like just kind of in this endless cycle. Yeah. I think it depends on what you're coming in trying to deal with. Right. Like I, I think that some people, um, you know, and look, I want to, I want to first touch on the fact that, Unfortunately, in in kind of Western society, we don't give little boys and men an opportunity to be connected to their emotional selves. And so a lot of Mm. times what that does is that creates a human being that's cut off from a very large, very normal part of their humanness. And so understandably, they start to feel like, who am I? What am I? I'm stuck. I don't know who I am in this life. I'm unhappy. Why am I unhappy? And so much of that, especially with the men that I see in my practice, comes from unfortunately being raised in this patriarchal society that teaches men that having emotions is weak. And in any kind of sense, being connected to a deeper, more intimate, more vulnerable, more emotional, more spiritual uh, aspect of their humanness somehow makes them less than, right? Um, and so really therapy, and, and here's the thing too, I will say, my background is in depth psychology. So unlike John or unlike a lot of therapists who kind of have more of a behavioral approach, depth psychology or Jungian psychology is called the, the, the psychology of the soul. And so a lot of what I work with is more existential stuff, right? It's, it's the path of individuation. It's our work to become the most whole and complete human being that we can become. And that doesn't always look like, here's a problem. Let me solve it. If you had a specific problem, you might want to go to a coach or you might want to go to somebody who has more of a CBT approach. But sometimes people aren't able to actually articulate that. Like I'm unhappy and I don't know why. Right. And so it becomes kind of a bigger, a bigger thing. Um, and so anyway, I just wanted to say that because I, I feel for that little boy version of you, even at 25, like little boy, I want to kind of hug you for that because I've seen it so frequently. Um, but also to kind of go, um, the question that you said about people kind of, I would say there is a bit of an addiction to it. I think culturally right. we have kind of swung mm-hmm. the pendulum a bit to the other side. Um, yeah, but, but I, I, I don't think it's necessarily, how do I put this? Um, it feels like a pendulum swing, but I also still, and this is another part of kind of Jungian psychology where I'm constantly interested in the collective. I don't look at people individually. I look at more of the collective. I think as a collective, we're very lonely. We're very cut off. We're very isolated. 
the kind of patriarchal, capitalistic, everybody out for themselves, grow, grow, grow. What can I buy? What can I get to make me feel better externally has really left so many of us feeling cut off from each other and from ourselves. And I think a lot of times people become addicted to therapy because it's one of the only safe spaces they have in their life to feel connected to something larger themselves, connected to that emotional side of themselves, connected to another human being that's showing them empathy and compassion. Right. So I I think it's a yes and. Yeah, I, I think I talked about this on the podcast before, but also like connectivity to nature and to the land. Mm-hmm, and to, to, totally. To, you know, how we, how we existed for thousands of years. We're now in this completely different space where, you know, it's all digital and everything's technology and we're not actually like growing anything or uh, farming anything or, you know, most people's relationship to like food is so removed from the actual oh, yeah. process of growing and harvesting food to actually eating it. It's just basic stuff like that. Um, but yeah, people just have, have kind of like feel very lost in, in modern society and can't really relate to, to stuff that once gave us complete meaning and, and complete joy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on what you said about, um, cause I, I think sometimes, you know, I, I swing towards like sometimes you need to just like understand that life is hard and you need to just like, get on with things a little bit rather than like overanalyzing everything. And, you know, like you said, getting addicted to therapy and not just therapy, but it's kind of like the, the self-love self. Um, I need this, I need that. I need all these things around me to make me feel comfortable when really the most like growth is going to happen in the uncomfortable spaces, as mm-hmm. opposed to all these things that are giving you kind of like this, this kind of like safe space. Do you, do you ever get to the point where you're like with a client? Okay. Yes, this is great, but you have to understand that life is hard and you have to just kind of like toughen up and get on with it. Do you ever feel like saying that or? I don't want to say toughen. I would never say toughen up, but I would say, I mean, there's definitely been clients that I've wanted to shake the shit out of. I mean, that's like, there's no question there. Um, and I, I'm definitely, I mean, look, I'm a New Yorker. I say things just, I just say things. I don't sugarcoat shit, you know? Um, and you're either going to like resonate with that as a therapist or you're not. And if you don't, I'm not your therapist because I am somebody who's not going to really kind of like, um, white glove things with you. Right. Like if I, if I see that you're essentially causing your own suffering in a lot of ways, I I'm going to call that out. Right. Especially in couples work. I have very little tolerance for bad behavior in couples work, um, where I think a lot of, uh, couples therapists will just sit and, well, how did that make you feel? And how did that make you feel? And I'll be the first one to be like, okay, this dynamic is bullshit. Like you both, you both are at fault here. This is super unhealthy. Like, do you want to be ha- happy or not? You know, cause if you do, here's yeah. what you got to do. And here, if you, if you, this is what you got to do, you know? Um, so I'll definitely do that kind of like shake them up feeling. Um, but I, the only thing I would push back on is just this feeling of like, sometimes we got to toughen up. And again, I actually think a lot of, um, I mean, it's been researched like that, that approach to getting through life actually in a lot of ways can make life harder than it is. Um, because not actually facing things is kind of the best way for things to take over and to things, to, things to actually bring you to your knees. So like not feeling emotions is the best way for emotions to actually incapacitate you. Not being able to actually look at trauma and work through trauma is the best way that trauma is going to actually control you and your life. So 
there's got to be a balance between let's look at this, let's get in there, let's dig it up, let's roll around in it. And then let's not get so attached to or so associated with our trauma that it becomes, you know, or our, our hard lives, it becomes the only thing that we know to talk about. Right. Yeah. So we've got to find kind of what that middle ground is, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just mean like with myself, I just know from my experiences as a, as a coach and as a trainer, and I don't know whether you've ever experienced this as a therapist, but sometimes I've slept, I, I've slipped into like coddling mode. Uh, and as sure. a coach and as a trainer, what that means is you're no longer actually pushing that person to the place they need to go to get the results they want. You're just affirming and you're just coddling. Yes. And you're just like, you're letting them do what they want to do or what they want to say because it's, it's making them feel comfortable as opposed to pushing them into the spaces where they're going to get the real results. And I like, I'm, I've definitely been guilty of that as a, as mm -hmm. a fitness coach. So I'm wondering if you ever, as a therapist, there's a danger of that, right? I agree. I mean, I, I think that also it depends on the therapist and that's, I, I, I mean, I'm not yeah. like totally patting myself on the back, but I do think that's kind of like <laughs> the beauty of having that, like kind of, I got a bit of a, that New Yorker in me where I'm like, I take no bullshit but I can also right. be very soft and very compassionate. I think at, part of the art of therapy, part of the art of actually being a therapist is having such a high attunement that I kind of know what it is that you need in that moment. So if I'm feeling into what this person actually really needs is some corrective healing, mothering experience that they did not get in their lives, I'm okay for a session or two letting you kind of stay in that space and letting maybe all you need is validation. Maybe all you need is for me to actually affirm like, yeah, this is hard and this hurts and it, you didn't deserve it. And it's unfair. Right. And sometimes we actually do kind of need to be there, not permanently, not too long, but there is something to be said for allowing ourselves to feel into that. And then you go, okay, now it's time. Now it's time to, you know, right. um, do the yeah. work and, and kind of take that next step and get into the discomfort, right. That then obviously the, the change and the growth are going to come from. Um, but it's a balance. And I, I think that is a little bit of the art of therapy is like knowing when you need to do what with your clients. And I wear a lot of hats, you know, I'm constantly kind of like, yeah. what do I need to be in this moment for them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how long were you kind of in the uh, therapy space before you met John and kind of started that relationship? I was new. I mean, I was still in grad school when I met John. So, okay. um, yeah, I was, I was in grad school. I think I was only a few months out from graduating. So I was, you know, a tail end of it, but, uh, I, I think you know this story, but I'll say it cause I think it's funny. I was not looking to date. I had been, I had been dating somebody that had gotten very serious very quickly and kind of had blown up in my face and I was single and enjoying it. And, um, John, for those of you guys who know him on Instagram, the angry therapist, he at the time had a pretty big following. And I remember a friend of mine, Danae, had sent me something he had posted or something. I don't remember what it was, but for whatever reason on that day, I remember just being like, huh. And I went into his profile and I was kind of like scrolling and looking at his stuff. And I was like, and I don't remember what it was that that feeling. I just, I said to Danae, I'm going to date this guy. And she was like, okay. He has like 70,000 okay. followers. I was like, no, we have a mutual friend. He lives in LA. He appears to be single. I find him very attractive. I was like, I'm, I'm going to date this guy. And I just like had this knowing and, uh, the mutual friend who, you know, Jason Berg, yeah. we, um, we had already had plans to catch up on the books synchronistically. And, uh, I went out with Jay and I, we were talking, catching up and I never said a word, even though I was intending on it. And Jay kind of looked at me and was like, I have this friend that I feel like you'd really get along with. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> 
And yes. he was like, wow. yeah, his name's John. And I was yeah, like, oh, I, I don't think I know him. I don't know when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was very synchronistic. How, how is, I mean, two therapists in a relationship together, sharing, you know, a child together and, and living that kind of existence together. Um, is it is it a help or a hindrance that you're both therapists? Do you like find both. yourself analyzing <laughs> each other all the time or? <laughs> both. <laughs> right. It's great. Um, there's part of it that's amazing, right? Like we share the language. There's a lot of self-awareness. There's a lot of um, a willingness to sit in the discomfort with each other. Um, there's a lot of willingness to call each other on our kind of bad behavior or like bad patterns or old habits or things like that. But also a lot of safety and being able to say like, oh, this is my childhood shit that's coming up. And like, he knows what mine are and I know what his are and things like that. Um, but there also can be a tendency to just never not be in the process right. of analyzing. And sometimes it can be fucking exhausting. <laughs> but I know, um, I know, cause I know together you've kind of been on this fitness, fitness journey as well. Um, and I don't know whether you did that much strength training before meeting John. I know you did a lot of yoga and stuff like that. And I may be wrong. Like if you did, let me know. Um, but I know like you guys working out together has been a big part of your like relationship. And you've talked about it on your, on your social media and, and stuff about the importance of like sweating together um, and mm -hmm. doing physical stuff together and how it can be an, a, you know, an, an attraction thing, a sexual thing, uh, a healthy thing for a relationship. Um, just, just touch on that briefly. Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been, I was an athlete in, in high school. I, I've been going to the gym since I was 18. I mean, I've always had a pretty strong connection to my body and then yoga at 25 kind of deepened that, um, you know, and kind of created more of a mindful uh, relationship to my body and to fitness and what that felt like in my body, obviously from that perspective, I, I don't think I would ever say I did strength. I mean, it's funny because what I do with you guys is different. I've always done strength. Like I've always done weights and things like that, but never, I guess, in the way that you, not the CrossFit kind of way. Right. And, right, uh, right, right. so that's, that's probably the difference with meeting John. But, um, I, I do find that that connection relationally. And it's funny, I've had a lot of people actually push back on that when I post it on Instagram or whatever, because they'll be like, oh no, this is my one time where I can be alone. Like my gym is my safe space. I don't want to share that with my partner. And I respect that. I do. Um, but I, what I have found is that when we are, and I've actually said this to John, when we are side by side working out and kind of in our body, um, I find it very connecting, mostly because there's something really sexy, I think, about seeing your partner focused on themselves, not in like an egocentric way, but really just kind of inward focus on themselves, challenging themselves, competing with themselves. Um, it's like you get to be a little bit of a voyeur to them and like yeah. what they're doing in their day to day. And I, that I have found to be very attractive. Um, and also yeah. coming from, I've had past relationships with people who did not take care of themselves in any way, um, physically, emotionally, spiritually, all the things. One of the number one things that I love about John is how he takes care of himself. And again, not just like, oh, I want to look good and have abs, like not like that, but like, I love myself and I respect myself and I want to take care of myself. And working out physically is one way that I do that. That's like a non-negotiable for me based on my experiences and relationships in the past. So that's another thing I think yeah. is really connecting. I think, I think that's a great point. I mean, 
I don't think me and Emily would be married now if, if we hadn't have worked out together. Because when you when you work out together, working out in itself, as I as I always say, is basically like an ex, a physical expression of of yourself, and you you mm. learn a lot about a people a person by the way they work out. So like you mm-hmm. said, when you look at John and when he's putting himself in those uncomfortable places and like pushing himself and challenging himself, that's not just showing you like how fit he is. That's showing you a side of his personality, a side of his intent. Totally. Um, and a side of his, you know, his, his mindset. Um, and like, like you said, I think that's a very attractive thing to see in someone. Um, you know, how they deal with themselves in there is how they're going to deal with life. Like totally when shit gets bad. How are you going to deal with it? Right. It's that, it's that, it's that classic question. So yeah, I, I, I think. People were, I, I think the, the point you said before about some people like, oh no, this is my space, blah, 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 blah. I think that can be true if you're not doing those kind of workouts that push or challenge you in that way. If you're just going mm. in and just like doing like, you know, three sets of 15 on stuff and moving around, I can see how people want to just want their headphones on. They just want to be in their own thing, but it's, it's almost like a different experience when you work out in that way, when you push yeah. each other in that way. Um, it it goes beyond sets and reps. It goes beyond fitness. It's you're taking yourself into a different place mentally and physically that that I think is just very, very powerful. Um, well, you're overcoming challenges we're, together, right? Like there's also something yeah. in that, like especially like the partner yeah. kind of workouts that we do. Yeah. Um, a lot of times it feels like you're on the same team. You're you're accomplishing something together. Um, I like working out with my partner in that way. I actually don't like just going and doing free weight gym stuff with him, mostly because I'm a Taurus. He's an Aries. We're both super competitive. And I hate when he tries to tell me what to do. Cause I'm like, dude, I've been fucking doing this since I was 18. Leave me alone. Like I get so mad, but when we're in the class setting, he can't really do that because like there's a coach there and you know, we're both again, like we're working towards the same goal versus like him trying to coach me, which irritates the shit out of me. <laughs> right. No, I could see that. I could see that. I'm, I think Emily would be the same way. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I see it, you know, I know a lot of healthy couples that work out together and, and they get a lot out of it. So, and also it's just having that support network, you know, we, mm-hmm. we talk about it when we do like our challenges and stuff, we talk about the importance of having people around you that support your journey, whether that be like working out, being physical or whatever it is. If you have someone like, it's like, oh, I don't want to go to the gym or, you know, what are you going to the gym for? Like that kind of thing. It can be very damaging to a person's mm-hmm um you know journey growth whatever um so just having someone there that is in the in the trenches with you kind of thing totally i just think it's a very powerful very powerful very unifying um thing um and i I love it when i see it because it is you know we always talk about the gym you know having a greater meaning than just fitness right Mm -hmm. it's got to be more than that there is something spiritual there there is something community-based there there is something social there that's bringing people together um, whether it be, and that, you know, I think this kind of like what we're talking about, this kind of togetherness, it can, it can also be like a brotherhood thing or a sisterhood thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just about a, a loving relationship or a sexual relationship. It can be like a bonding thing with, um, other people as well. Yeah. Um, which I, I just, I just think it's a very powerful thing that, um, and I think it's, it's one of the reasons why CrossFit as a brand became successful because it totally, did, and what other like group, you know, group type workouts are successful because there is a, definitely a bonding experience that goes beyond just the physical. Um, but I haven't experienced I think- that though, Pete. Like really, I think you guys do a really good job of cultivating that kind of energy in that kind of space. Because like I said, I mean, I've been doing the gym since I was 18 and I would say that this is probably the only gym I've ever 
been a member of that. What it feels to me is it's reminiscent of those sports teams in high school again. Like it's reminiscent of that kind of camaraderie that you build amongst a sports team. And I I don't, you know, you're not going to get that at like, I mean, I hate to shit talk, but you're not going to get that at like LA fitness usually, you know, it's just a very different kind of vibe. It's very individual. You go in, you do your thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if I would even be in the fitness space if not for that. Like that's, that's the thing that really interests me to be honest. Like, yes, I like when people get results and like they get the body that they want or whatever. But really, it's the social interaction and the community building that that's that's what excites me and that's what like gets me up in the morning. And when yeah. I think about when I thought about opening the gym in Idlewild, it wasn't like you know it wasn't just about oh we're going to provide a gym for people. It's like we're going to build a community up here. We're going to build a fitness community in Idlewild, and there's going to be like yeah. you know you, people are going to meet people and there's going to be conversations and there's going to be you know workouts together and people are going to bond and stuff. And it's happening. Like and when you see it happen and when you create it. I mean, you create that space for people. That's the fucking reward. That's honestly- and you know what else too? You're creating it in a way that it's not reliant on like going to the bar. Because I feel like, right? right? Because yes. here's the thing. Obviously, we have a house in Idlewild too, and I love Idlewild. Idlewild very much reminds me sometimes of like where I kind of grew up, which is like upstate New York, right? And it yeah. has this. It's snowy, and there's weather, and there's seasons, and it's got that small town vibe. And from my experience, from that small town vibe, a lot of times, in order to find that community, people always end up at the bar. And I'm not trying to yeah. shit talk going to the bar because I love having a good beer on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. But is that the yeah. only time and place that you find community when you're not like at home in your own house, right? And I think that that's really important for communities, specifically like Idlewild, to be able to have that as an alternative to coming together. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I, I see it. You know, in England, it used to be traditionally the village pub, right? Mm-hmm. You have the village pub that everyone goes to and they, they you know, they get together and they talk. Yep. Or it was like church or some kind of religious right. like gathering. Uh, but, you know, in the absence of that and, and those things, you have to find that space somewhere else. And I think, you know, the gym and the, the fitness, um, the fitness space is just a great place to do that because obviously you're, mm-hmm. At the same time as building those communities, you're also getting healthy and fit and, and hopefully living longer. So um, it's, it's, it's a very kind of natural and, and very primal. Like when you were talking yeah. about um, working out with John and that, that kind of, it's a very primal thing to work out, to be physical together and to, you know, when we talked about like reconnecting to nature and to, you know, stuff that actually means something, mm-hmm. you know, I think working out is one of those things. It is a, to being physical and working out and doing exercise together is a very, very primal human thing that we were designed to do. And when you, when you, when you experience that together, I just think it can be a very kind of natural and powerful um, thing. Um, I agree. And it's, you know, like I said, it, it's the main kind of driving force bef- behind everything that, that we do. Um, and I, I have moments where I, you know, I go into my own thing and I want to do, like I do do workouts on my own a lot. Totally. Then it's a totally different experience. It's, it's a totally different thing. Um, I don't get the same reward out of it. I don't get the same feeling out of it. Um, I'll do it, you know, to, to get stronger and to be, you know, to physically look and be the way I want to be, but it's not, it's not the emotional. I don't get the same emotional response that I get from working out with other people or working out with Emily uh, or being in the presence of people that I enjoy being in, in the presence of. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think that's been a real, I think that's been a real, improvement shall i say in the fitness industry in the last 20 years i think it's it's gotten a lot away from just people headphones on isolated just doing one thing to being a more communal experience yeah Um, i agree so yeah let's let's hope it continues
Well, you're building uh, it. So if you build it, they will come. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll keep trying. Um, let's, let's talk about the, the book a little bit. Um, cause I know the book came out last year and that was, this is your first book, right? As a, yeah, as mine. You as an author. Um, and you wrote it together. How did, how did that process work? You know, it was actually kind of seamless. I, I think that might have been. So the thing about John and I is that we work really well together. Um, and that's not the same for all couples. Um, but that is probably actually like the part that we're the, the strongest in is when we actually work together side by side or building something or creating something. And what was good about it was while we work really well together, we're very different. I mean, in all the ways, but in how we work. So. I'm much more kind of slow and steady. I like kind of have bursts of energy, but I'm not like a workhorse. That's just not how I am. Again, I'm a Taurus. I'm like, I like to just kind of lounge around and take my time with things, right? Um, and John, being the Aries he is, is like, go, 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 get him, get him, get him. And what was actually really great about the process was we got to balance each other out a little bit. So I got to kind of borrow from some of his strengths. Uh, and he got to borrow from some of mine, which was like, it's okay. You can breathe. You can take your time. And then for me, it was like, no, you gotta, you know, get a little fire under your ass and like get this done. We have deadlines yeah. and stuff. So yeah. it was actually a really great process to be able to kind of feed off of each other in that way. And in, in a way that we hadn't, I think in any other, I guess, project we'd worked on in the past. Yeah. And you did it like he wrote a section and then you wrote a section, right? Yeah. We, you know, we just had a shared cool. Google doc. And, uh, we kind of outlined what the different parts were that we wanted to talk about first. And then it was just kind of like, we'd fill in the blanks. Like I'd have something would motivate me to want to write about this specific topic. And so I would, and then he would build off of it. And then I would build off of that. And so then it just became, again, it was almost like working out together. It became this very like yeah, yeah. fluid. We're building something. I work off of you, you yeah. work off of me, you know, feeling. And it was, it was great. It was kind of magical. Do you, do you feel like it brought you closer together? As, I do. As yeah. 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 And has it changed your kind of like outlook moving forward of the things that you want to do? Now yeah. I mean, I think I, you mean me personally? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in the process of writing my, um, my proposal for my own book, my next book. So I'm pretty close to being done with that. So I think meeting John has definitely opened my eyes to the potential for writing. And like, I've always loved to write, but I guess never really seeing anybody who did it like as a career, I think he's very inspiring in that way. Cause he's actually a career author. I think a lot of people are like one and done if they ever do it. Yeah, um, yeah. so yeah, I'm doing that yeah, myself I'm, right now. And yeah, I mean, I make, I make fun of John a lot and I'm never going to stop, but John is, <laughs> John is a very impressive human being and that he's, he's yes. very productive. Like on a day to day basis, he's always like producing something. Yep. Uh, and you know, the social media thing, it's, it's a lot of work and it's, it's, it's a, a lot, lot of stress, of but he, he does, he puts so much into it and like puts out a lot of good content. And you know, that's, I, I people think, like will say, oh, why has he got so many followers? But he has a lot of followers because he puts out a lot of good content uh, mm -hmm. and people like that content, but you know, that comes with a lot of work. Um, and for some people it's like, oh, it's must be so nice to go and sit in a coffee shop and like do this stuff. But it's like, do it then try it, try it, I, I see how, it. see how easy it is. <laughs> I can't, I can't produce like that kind of stuff the no. way that John does. It, it just like exhausts me, but he has this kind of like, you know, ability and energy. Energizer bunny. <laughs> yeah. 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 He is. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, we've, I mean, I've seen your, your relationship grow obviously, and I've seen him grow, you know, he's changed immensely since, you know, when I first met him 
And I think that's, you know, a lot to do with you and, and your relationship. Um, and then becoming a father, obviously, you know, as I have done, changes you again. And, you, mm-hmm. you know, your life just, you know, completely opens out into a new, whole new, whole new chapter. Um, and to see him, like, deal with that and become such a good dad and to see you being such a good mom and you're just such, such good parents, um, it's just magical for me to watch. Um, and obviously with me and Em, it, it all kind of happening at the same time. It's been fun to go th- kind of through that together um, and see, you know, see him as like a goofball father. Which yeah. Is, you know, I, I imagine that's funny for you, like knowing him before uh, to is, kind of seeing him funny. now. Well, what, I think I think what's funny about it is he's a very different father from his father. Mm-hmm. Whereas I'm probably a pretty similar father to my father, mm. if you know what I mean. Like, so I think he's really had to, I don't know, like, I don't know how I would say, but he didn't have the experience of fatherhood from his dad, the way that I had experience of fatherhood from my dad. So I, I think his shift has been almost bigger than my shift. Mm. Um, I'm probably, I'm, I'm probably more emotional, a little bit more like tender than my dad was when he was, you know, mm-hmm he was my age because it was a different generation time but yeah different time but um i I think there were a lot of parallels between me and my dad Um, but i think what you said p is beautiful because i think what you guys both have been able to do actually i think in your own way and i think this is actually something that we all need to do better at as parents is say what about my upbringing did i really love and value and appreciate and that i can emulate and let's be real. Like our parents are human and they're flawed and there was shit that they fucked up because they're human and flawed. And let's be real about that without feeling guilty or feeling like a bad person or a bad kid for being honest and just saying, but here's the things that I know affected me. And so how can I pivot and change that with my parenting? Right. And I think both of you in your own way have actually done a pretty good job of that. Yeah. And I look at that, like, I look at that like I look at everything. And, and, and the thing for me is like, is judgment. Like I, I have yeah. no judgment on people because I just think everybody is flawed. Everybody's a little bit fucked up. You know, we've all done bad stuff. We've all done yeah. things wrong. Um, and when you meet people, don't, don't go in with judgment. Just go in with acceptance, go in with ears, just listen, try and understand, try and understand where they're coming from. Um, and go from there. And, you know, that's, that's the way I think about, you know, you know, my parents. It's like you can't judge them for any of the decisions they made because, you know, you're going through it. They're going through life. It's the, the humans, like we're humans. We all, we all make mistakes. Nobody does anything perfectly. I think the biggest, the biggest thing for me is having some like proper conversations with my kids, like mm. conversations that like, didn't happen with, yeah. with my parents that I, I wish I'd had. Um, and again, that was for no other reason than it was just a different, you know, a different generation, a different time. And just men didn't like have those conversations, but I'm going to be very, very open with, with why I'm Levi, with the conversations I have and just be, I think sometimes we, I obviously want my kids to be kids for as long as possible. I don't want them to grow up too quickly, but at the same time, I want to have the conversations, the hard conversations that conversations that's going to make that transition to adulthood easier yes, and more yes. kind of manageable and, and, and not fall into the, some of the, like, the traps and mistakes that, that I fell into, because I think it's just, just an awareness thing. If I'd have been aware of things, I think I would have done things a little bit different and a little bit better. But I think um, what you're speaking to is really, it's like Maya Angelou says, when you know better, you do better. So there's no judgment yeah. in that. There is no beating anybody up over that, right. you know, and it's not to, it isn't to judge our parents and it's not to even judge us for who we were 
an hour ago or a year ago. It's just to say when you know better, you do better, right? And that's that's the best that we can do with our children. And then obviously our children will do the same. And and we are living in a time, for better or worse, we're living in a time where we know a lot. We know a lot and we've got a lot of information at our fingertips. And so we're very aware now of like what has what outcome, you know, like we know there's certain types of ways of being raised and directly linked to what ways they present as adults, you know? And, um, so this knowing better, doing better thing, it's, it can be a little bit of a trap. I think as a parent, I've experienced it, um, where there's almost like so much information and you're hearing it from so many places that you almost stop listening to what your, your intuition is telling you is kind of the right way to approach it, you know? Um, which I would even say, going back to like fitness, I would say it's similar in that, you know, I mean, I've, I've had conversations, multiple conversations and I continue to with John where it's like, we have different bodies. I have a lot of injuries. I was majorly into sports. I was a cheerleader for 15 years, which does a number on your joints. And so there's many times we'll just do this or just do that. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. I have a relation. I have a very good relationship with my body. I know what it needs. I know what it can't do. And I know what to push and not to push. And I have to trust that. And the second I stop trusting that and I start listening to somebody else, I can get into a lot of trouble, you know, because they're not in my body. They're not in my my experience. Yeah. How did um, how did motherhood affect you because I, there was a time when you didn't think you wanted to be a mother, right? Or you didn't think you would be. I still don't know I if I want to be a mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a three-year-old. I'm still not sure. Yeah. Um, how, how's that experience been for you as a mother in, in therapy and you know, the whole thing? I mean, it's just been such a radical shift in identity. I think um, it's, I think I was always, I know deep in my bones that I was meant to be the mother of a daughter Um, I think there's so much healing that's happening for me around just so much of like patriarchal wounding and like wounding as a woman and being in this world that I am watching unfold because I now have a daughter, um, and how I plan on essentially raising her in a way that I, you know, things I didn't have conversations with, you know, about with my mom or just things I wasn't aware of. Um, and I'm very protective over her because of that. And so it's not that I didn't know this stuff, but it's almost as if having a kid really just put a black light on it. Um, and, and, but it's been tough. I mean, the hard part for me has been, and I think I see this a lot in clients who have kids later in life. You know, it's one thing, like my mom was 21 when she had me, who are you when you're 21, right? Like you're, you're a kid basically. So I don't think it's as much of, um, an identity issue to have a kid when you're 21 than have them when you're 40, right? Because by the time you're 40, you're pretty established and you know who you are and you know what your goals and your dreams are. And then to all of a sudden have to like crowbar this new little being into your life, which changes everything, it can feel a little bit like whiplash. And so I would say that's been the biggest struggle for me is just being like, I never wanted to have children mostly because I just didn't really have a desire for my life to be centered around any one thing. And so that's, it's, it's tough, you know, to say, but I still want to do all these things and I'm still going to make that happen regardless of having yeah. a kid, you know? Right. Right. It's difficult because, you know, when I look at, I look at, when you look at like successful, quote unquote, successful people, whatever you want to measure success by, but, and you, you look at what they say they get done in their day. And I always just look at it and think, how, how do you spend any time with your kids? How do you spend any time with your family? And, and the answer is they probably don't like, yeah, yeah. There's a, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that people look up to as like successful people 
But if you actually knew them and if you actually saw that, you know, how they behaved around their family, um, you'd probably be disappointed because there's just no way that you yeah. can do all that stuff and spend that amount of hours in the day doing all this stuff and still pay attention, enough attention to your, to your kids and to your family. There's just, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much energy you can possibly have. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I think historically that's been the case. Historically, I think most like famously successful people were probably assholes. Yeah. <laughs> Selfish assholes. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, you can, you, you can make that argument about, Top athletes, if you're a top, top athlete, you have to be incredibly selfish, incredibly yeah. selfish because, you know, your time has to be your time because if, if, if it isn't, you're never going to be number one. Right. So I think that creates, you know, a certain type of, uh, of existence that you just can't, that's just the reality of it. Um, so I think for me, it's like, you know, we come back to this word balance of finding that balance of, yes, I want to work hard. Yes, I want to be successful. Yes, I want the businesses to grow and so forth. But more than anything, I want to spend time with my kids. Mm-hmm. Like I've had to change it. Like even with the new baby, Levi, because now, you know, Emily's obviously just had the baby, C-section, the whole thing. So she has to spend a lot of time with Levi. She hasn't been able to move much. Um, so I've been like kind of in charge of Wyatt, like getting him ready for school or that, that stuff, taking him to school, picking him up from school. You know, that's my, that's the most, that's the most important job I have right now is right, taking care right. of my family, making sure that my family are, are good. And then like work ambitions and, and that, you know, has to take not a backseat, but you, you just have to be measured with it and very kind of like, you know, what's the most important thing I can do right now? Is yes. it this or is it that? And usually yes. it's, it's something to do with like family or kids, um, all that stuff. And, and obviously, we're in the position where like, I feel very responsible for a lot of people. We have 40 employees, uh, two businesses. Like I feel that responsibility, which is obviously a different thing from fatherhood, but it's still, you know, I'm still feel like I'm responsible. Still taken care of. Mm -hmm. Taking care of people and making sure everyone's okay. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's a real balancing act parenthood. Does that ever feel like too much pressure though? Like to have that many people that you're kind of responsible for? Um, I think I, I feel I, I like that. I like being responsible for people. I like being like dad. <laughs> I like being mm-hmm. a dad. Um, I get stressed, obviously. Uh, and sometimes, you know, you have your moments where you're like, you know, I can't fucking do this anymore. Yeah. We all feel like that sometimes. And then I just, you know, get on with it. But, um, yeah, I think it, it's, it's just, it's, it's taking like, okay. Like I said, I want to, I want to be established and I want to, I want to provide security and provide for my family. I don't know. Emily wants to do that as well. And we do that together. Um, so that's going to require X amount of work, but I kind of like said to myself, you know, especially in these first kind of 10 years that I have with my kids, you know, you're never going to get that time back. That's going to be the, the best thing you ever do is to really give them the best upbringing childhood that they can have. So I'm okay with like, being a little less successful, if yeah. that makes sense. Or no, it less, does make sense. You know, working, working less hours so mm-hmm. that I can spend more time with my, with my kids. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate, you know, growing up because I had, I had grandparents that were there all the time as well. And obviously, you know, me being away from my family in, in the States and my family in the UK, like my kids won't have that same thing like I, I did. So I I'm thought about that too. That. So I'm like, well, I have to, you know, I have to be there for them because um, I want them to to have that playtime and to have that that 
outdoor time with, with dad and that sports time with dad and all that, that kind of stuff. So, and I'm only just starting, obviously I'm only three years into this whole thing. And Which is a lot wild to, to me because you guys have built so much yeah, in three years and years. had kids like, along the way. At, and <laughs> I know we're still at Montessori and I've still got like, you know, to think about like, okay, he's going to have sports and he's going to have these commitments and he's going to want to be picked up from this and that. And, you know, it's going to get more, it's going to get way more. Um, so yeah, but I'm excited about that, to be honest. I'm excited about that experience. Um, and, and to kind of like share that with him and to go through that with him and see, um, and see, you know, they say, like, I, I heard, I heard recently somebody say something about, um, I have a paraphrase, but essentially they say like the most healing thing for the masculine is to actually spend more time at home. And the most healing thing for the feminine is actually to spend more time on themselves. So yeah. it's balance and integration, right? Like, like yeah. what, what is the tendency when you're in kind of the unhealthy version of unhealthy version of masculine, unhealthy version of feminine? Um, and, and so what then, if you look at the opposite of that, what would the healing be? Right. And so if we're in like a state of hyper kind of unhealthy wounded masculine, it's kind of what you were saying earlier about these people who are number one, probably pretty narcissistic, um, you know, stepping on everybody to get whatever they want as far as yeah. gains, don't care who they hurt in the process, you know, all these things. Right. Um, and so the healing to that would be to actually be focused more on, on family and, and home and, yeah. and building that, those relationships. Right. And then the opposite, obviously, for the feminine, like if you're in that wounded feminine space, it's almost caretaking to the point of martyrdom, right? Martyrdom yes. and resentment yeah. and everybody is my responsibility and all of these things right. that we, right. unfortunately, as women kind of grow up with. And so then the healing to that would be actually spending more time on yourself and only yourself yeah. and, and your passions yeah. and your desires outside of the home, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I, I, think I see that a lot. When I see... Women, I, well, I've seen women over the years that will give up everything before themselves mm -hmm. uh, and they, they won't work out, they won't go to the gym because like they will dedicate all their time to their husband and their kids and, the, and their work and whatever and sacrifice their own, their own self to mm -hmm. these other stuff and that, and that's a terrible place to be in as well because you just end up in a mess. Well, not um, only is that a terrible place for you, but it's also a terrible lesson to teach your children. Yeah. Yeah. That everybody matters exactly. more than you. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. Um, I know that you guys, um, I, I was speaking to John uh, recently and I know he just did this, this big retreat in Idlewild, which was, um, I think his first one was men only. Right. And mm -hmm. then you guys are doing another retreat coming up, which is co-ed. And I know that you're going to coach part of that, that weekend. What, what are we, what are you going to coach on that weekend? Yeah. So end of March, we're doing another weekend. Um, he's going to still have his kind of core team. So there's going to be breath work and they did some really cool stuff with ice baths and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but I'm actually going to come in on Saturday and, and talk about kind of the topic that I could talk about until I'm blue in the face, which is really just around codependency and relationships and, um, really trying to create more interdependence in our relationships. So, um, I think it'll be a pretty powerful conversation, but that'll be on the Saturday night of the, of the retreat. If you were, if you were to briefly describe, I know you could talk for days about this, but if you were to briefly describe codependency, how would you kind of summarize it? Well, the problems that arise from codependency that you see commonly. Yeah. So, I mean, I talk about it a little bit differently than I think a lot of people in mental health talk about it. So I think I've come to the understanding very clearly through my work, but also in personal experience that um, we're all codependent. 
every one of us, we're, we're, it's the air we breathe. It's the way that we are essentially taught that love should look like and feel like um, across every relationship, not just romantic. Um, but the best and kind of easiest way to understand it is codependency is really just simply this. If you're good, I'm good. If you're not good, I'm not good. Meaning my emotional state is based on somebody else's emotional state. My sense of being okay, my sense of goodness, my sense of worth, my sense of value is based on somebody else, something external from myself, right? Um, and so it's really the way that so many of us approach all of our relationships. Um, and it can be a really, really unhealthy way of, of living because a lot of it has, there's a lot of control, a lot of manipulation, a lot of people pleasing, a lot of not being authentic, not being honest, um, not living in integrity. Right. And, um, that comes from a lot of that, those behaviors. And so it's kind of essentially become one of my missions as a therapist to really help people understand how pervasive it is, that it's not just like this dirty word that's relegated to women who are the wives of alcoholic husbands or something like it used to be. Um, right. It's actually more like, no, no, no. Every one of us has codependent tendencies and uh, it's about taking radical acceptance for yourself um, and yourself in your own life and um, only being responsible for you, meaning you can only control yourself, right? And uh, really helping people understand that that's, that's essentially the gateway to having like the healthiest, most fulfilling relationships with others, but also with yourself. Yeah, that's great. And I love that you guys are doing this. And I love that you're coming in to help John with it. And that there's so many different elements to the retreats that you guys are mm -hmm. doing, because there is the physical side, but there's also the recovery side, the ice bath therapy and the breath work. Um, and, um, and then you're coming in with the more kind of like, you know, psychological codependency, um, side of things the you know the more direct therapy kind of stuff um it's it's a great um it's a great thing to do and a great place to do it like idlewild is the perfect place to do something like this where you have so many different elements coming together uh, and you know i know john has a talented team like being able to like harvest all those talents into one yeah. space and, and gather people i mean like we talked before about community right you're creating a a new kind of community that's very well-rounded and very, yeah. you know, very open to lots of different ideas and concepts and discussions. That's um, one of his biggest talents, really, that, is building teams. I, I'll, yeah, always, I'll always give him that. One of the things I always, that annoys me and that I struggle with people is like people that just aren't open and accepting of multiple like arguments and different sides. Like, especially in this country, it's a very like, I'm either on this side or mm -hmm. on that side. And I don't like those people. I don't like those people. It's like, grow up like yeah you know there we're are all so different many nuances involved. <laughs> but we're all different so many discussions to be had so many conversations to had to be had and i think weekends like this and experiences like that uh, like this are so open and so like i don't know whether vulnerable is the right word but like you are making mm -hmm. you are putting yourself into vulnerable spaces like when you do an ice bath you're in a vulnerable space it's an emotional yeah. thing um uh, and so I think it's great that people are willing to, you know, to come and do that and to put themselves in those places. Cause I think that that can be very, what I love about it from a, from a, you know, quote unquote therapy point of view is it's not just taking one approach. It's yeah. saying, no, 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 there are multiple sides to this and all of this stuff can help improve you, help you and help you help other people. Um, and it's a very, a very kind of like organic, meaningful process. Mm -hmm. uh, and event that I, I, I really, I, I'm really, I really, I'm really glad you, you guys are doing it. I'm really happy you're doing it in Idlewell because, it, like I said, it's the perfect space for it.
Um, so, I mean, the future for you, it looks like, you know, you've got more books, you're going to do more retreats and you're still, you're still doing one-on-one therapy, right? You're still a... Occasionally. I don't have as many clients now because I do, uh, I actually do a lot of my own retreats as well. So I do like multiple week long in-person retreats kind of all over. Um, I'm actually launching an online, a private community soon too. So there's going to be a lot more group work coming up for me. Um, and so I don't do as many one-on-ones, but to be honest, I've, I've shifted so much into the group space because I, I feel like group work is so incredibly powerful and actually something Mm -hmm again, going back to what Pharaoh's offers, it's so imperative. Like you can't just sit in a room and listen, I'm a therapist. I love therapy, but like you can't just sit in a room with one person forever and ever and expect that to be the only thing, right? It's like you were saying about different modalities and being able to come together in community and work through these things that we all share, we're all human and be able to say, oh, I see myself in that person's story and I resonate with what that person is saying. It can be exponentially healing. It, it, I have actually seen group work take somebody's inner person, like one-on-one therapy and just skyrocket it. It's like turning something up when you're able to sit with other people, right? I mean, I I draw the parallel between personal training and then group classes. It's the same thing. Totally. Like when you're, when you're one-on-one doing personal training, it's one thing and you can take that so far and it'll be effective yep. in a certain way. But then when you take it into the group environment, it becomes something completely different. Totally. Um, and you need, you need both to a degree. You need both. Um, and then mm-hmm. some people need to go back and do the, the one-on-one stuff again and, you know, work on themselves a little bit more, but you know, both are very powerful rooms to be in. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's some, it's, it's, so interesting to me, these parallels that we can draw between mm-hmm. <laughs> fitness and therapy. It's all healing, um, healing modalities, one, right? One, yeah. One thing I always ask people on the podcast um, is uh, what is your purpose? What do you think your, your purpose really is as you, as you grow? Like what, what do you really want to do? What, what impact do you really want to have? Man, I don't think I have one purpose. I, I feel like um, my purpose has evolved and changed so many times as I've evolved and changed. So if I were to say what my purpose is, it's just to continue to stay connected to and continue to strengthen my connection to myself so that I am essentially open to or really, yeah, open to listening and hearing what that next thing actually needs to be. Um, I think a lot of us focus so much on like the point, the shiny point at the end. Um, and we get a little bit too like laser focused head down that we then miss a lot of other opportunities. Um, and I think I just really want to be able to constantly be in a state of evolution. And essentially it's like, um, you know, that saying that they have an AA, it's like, uh, what would you have me do today? Like it's my higher power. What would you have me yeah. do today? Who would you have me serve today? Right. And, and know that that's fluid. And so if I were to say one purpose, it's that it's to be continually open to like what my purpose is today, you know, not forever and ever. That's great. I love that. All right, Vanessa. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, you're awesome. I love you. Thank you Pete. Uh, I, I love you too. Uh, I, think you're, I think you're a gem. And um, yeah, I look forward to to seeing you soon back up here or or in LA. I was going to say, I'll see you in a couple weeks for sure. Yeah, in a couple of weeks, yeah. And good luck with it. I think it's going to be incredible. Um, I think you guys are onto something pretty special. And I think it's going to, I think it's going to keep growing, keep growing. And uh, Mm -hmm. good luck with your your next book. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. I'll catch you soon. Thanks again. Thanks, Pete.